First Thessalonians chapter two, verses seventeen to twenty. Let me read this for us. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. So uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Exilic, and um, I just want to give us a roadmap for where, we're, where we've been and where we're heading as far as sermons go. Um, for the past few weeks, we've been doing a sermon called Counterchism, Debunking Our Secular Narratives. I know that many of you have enjoyed it, and so if you've missed out on any of them, you can go online on our website or on iTunes. And you could go ahead and take a listen at those uh, sermons. Next week, as Danielle mentioned, and for the whole month of June, it will be dedicated to global missions. Uh, next week, we have an amazing speaker that's coming, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. But for today, I thought that what we could do is uh, pivot away from our current series on counterchism. And um, we could just do a standalone sermon. And the way that I want to approach this sermon is sort of just as a local pastor of a local church, okay? I'm not a digital online pastor. I'm certainly not a celebrity pastor, and I have no desire to be one. I am simply a local pastor of a local church that cares for everyone that God brings into this room. And one of the things that I deeply care about as we emerge out of this pandemic is our spiritual health. And so what I would like to do simply just for today is to make a theological case for meeting in person for worship. Okay. Um, one of the things that um, the pandemic tragically did is that it shut down Broadway. And, um, but one of the cool things that Disney Plus did is that they aired Hamilton. And I have never seen Hamilton before. We actually had tickets once, uh, but because of our kids and we couldn't find a sitter, we had to stay home and watch the kids. And so we couldn't go to Hamilton. So we give it to one of you guys to go and see. So I haven't seen Hamilton yet, but I was super excited when Disney Plus was airing it online. But something strange happened as I was watching Hamilton. Towards the middle of the show, I had to turn it off. And the reason for that is not because the music wasn't good, because it's incredible. It's not because the lyrics wasn't, weren't good, because they're phenomenal. But the reason why I felt like I had to shut it off is because there is a difference between watching something online and experiencing something in person. And I didn't want my first experience of Hamilton to be online and all of you know the statistics by now like when you watch something on zoom there's like a 30 percent energy you know drop off and uh and things like that and so we all know this there is a difference between experiencing something in person versus online now transition that thought to the church in greek the word church is ekklesia which means a physical assembly 
Ecclesia is not a digital assembly. It is not an online assembly, but it is a physical uh, assembly where God's people meet together. Now, there are many, many perks to having an online service. You can stay in your PJs. You can watch service anytime you want to. You can hit the rewind button. Uh, and perhaps most of all, you do not have to commute to the Stewart Hotel on a rainy Sunday morning. So there are a ton of perks to watching service online. Additionally, for some of you, there are many good reasons why you should not come to church in person during this season, particularly if you have a genuine fear of getting COVID by coming here one hour a week. If you have a genuine fear of getting COVID, you're not eating out at restaurants, you're not doing indoor dining, you're, you're not going to Target, you're not going to Whole Foods, you're not going to weddings, you're, you wouldn't even go to MSG if you got free courtside tickets next to Spike Lee because there are 16,000 people that are gathering there. So there are some of you that should not come to our in-person service. And others of you, by default, you can't come because you might live in a different state now. And if, if you are watching and you are in a different state, one of the things that I want to encourage you to do, as difficult as it is for us to say, is that I want you to mentally start preparing yourself for finding a local church that is somewhere near you. There are many better pastors than us. There are many better local churches than us that you can find wherever you might be. And so I want you to, I want to encourage you to mentally prepare yourself if you're watching our service online to, to transition to finding a local church near you. And the reason why I say that again is because the word ecclesia means a physical assembly. And what that means is that when we are not physically assembling together, there are some negative side effects that can happen to our spiritual lives when we do not do this. And that, that sort of makes uh, natural sense, right? So let me, let me give one example of this. Um, the late R.C. Sproul, he once gave this analogy and he said, imagine you're, you're grilling something, you're grilling burgers over hot charcoals. And the charcoals get to a place where they're like white hot. And so you take your tongs and you take one of those charcoals and you put it to the side. What do you think is going to happen to that one single isolated charcoal? While all of the other charcoals that are assembled together are on fire, that single charcoal that is isolated by itself will eventually cool down completely. And because of this pandemic, we've all sort of been like this single charcoal. This is the reason why all of us have experienced spiritual dryness. Some of us have been in a spiritually even dark place. And this is also why horizontally our, our, our relationships with one another have sort of uh, withered away. And the reason for that is because we have not been assembling together like all of the other charcoals. And so what I want to encourage uh, all of us to do is to continually meet together in person if our conscience allows us to do so. And if you live in a different state, to find a community 
where you can do that um, as well. And so take a look with me at uh, verse 17 of our passage today. And the passage that we're looking at is the very first letter that Paul ever wrote, which is 1 Thessalonians. And the reason why uh, Paul writes this letter to the uh, Thessalonians is because they are socially distanced from one another. And the reason why they're socially distanced from one another is not because of a pandemic, but because of persecution. Paul tells these Thessalonians that when you become a Christian, your ultimate allegiance is not to Caesar, but your ultimate allegiance is to God. And therefore, there's now a bounty on Paul and Silas's head. And so they now socially distance themselves from the rest of the Thessalonians. But because he misses them, he writes a letter to them. And this is what he says in verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought. Let's stop right there. There are a lot of imageries that the Bible gives for the church. The church is uh, a bride, probably my favorite, my most favorite imagery. The church is a bride. The church is a body. The church is a building. But here, Paul talks about the church as a family, that they are brothers and sisters. And historically, in the first century world, Christians began referring to one another as brothers and sisters. And you know what's really interesting? These brothers and sisters started marrying one another. And so when the outside world heard that Christians were brothers and sisters and marrying one another, they thought that Christians were literally incestuous because they didn't realize that they were not biological brothers and sisters so much as they were spiritual brothers and sisters. And so the church was always seen as a kind of spiritual family. So my question to us this morning is, how cognizant are you of the fact that we are supposed to be a family? And how important is that to you? Let's do a quick litmus test. Imagine you can marry one of two people. The first person shares the same faith as you, but has a different ethnicity. The second person has a different faith from you or no faith, but they have the same ethnicity as you. So here's my question. Who would you pick? The person that has the same ethnicity as you or, uh, but different faith or the person that shares your faith but has a different ethnicity? If you're on your dating app and, and, and you're looking at race and, and, and ethnicity and, and faith, but race is more important to you than your faith, what that probably means is that the blood of your ancestors is thicker than the blood of Christ. But if you were to pick the person that shares your same faith but has a different ethnicity, then you understand that the blood of Christ is even thicker than the blood of your ancestors. And historically, Christians have always believed that the blood of Christ is thicker than anything else, that when you become a Christian, you belong to a new race of people and a new family. And the most tangible expression of this new family is actually the local church which means that church isn't just a place that we go to, but it's actually a people that we belong to. 
Let me give an example of this. Uh, many years ago, uh, I don't even know how long ago it was now, when I, uh, when I asked uh, my wife Hannah's parents' permission to marry her, uh, one of the things that I said, and, and by the way, you can, you can use this if you want, if you're on the precipice of proposing to someone. Uh, what I said to uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law after I, I bribed my father-in-law with Nick's tickets is that I said to him, um, I said to my mother-in-law and father-in-law, I want you to know that, um, that when I propose to your daughter, you are not losing your daughter but you are gaining a son. And the truth of the matter is, um, you know, they gained a son, but you know what? I gained a whole new family. They treat me far better than I deserve. They treat me like their own flesh and blood. And when you become a Christian, you enter into this new family. As my professor Michael Horton would say, church is not a group of friends that we pick so much as it is a family that God has picked for us. So when you become a Christian, you gain a whole new fraternity, the greatest fraternity uh, in the world. I'm reminded of uh, the scene in The Greatest Showman, which is loosely based on the life of P.T. Barnum, the founder of Barnum and Bailey Circus. And P.T. Barnum, you know, collects these sort of this eclectic ensemble of quote-unquote weirdos and outcasts that society rejects and marginalizes. And in one of the scenes, one of the characters says to P.T. Barnum, P.T., when the world was ashamed of us, you gave us a spotlight. You gave us a real family. And that is what Jesus Christ does for us no matter how dysfunctional your biological family is. And the spiritual one is not that different. But what you inherit and what you gain is a new family. But take a look at what happens to Paul and the Thessalonians, this family that he loves. Take a look at verse 17 again. It says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought. When Paul uses this phrase, when we were orphaned, by being separated from you. It has the idea of a baby being ripped away from their parents' arms. That is how he felt when he was separated from his church community. He felt like he was being ripped away and orphaned. And to a certain extent, this is how all of us have felt during this pandemic. We've all been spiritually orphaned and separated from one another. But my question to you today is this. Do you feel that same kind of agony that Paul did from being separated from his church community? If you don't feel that sense of agony, it probably means two things. Number one, as a church, we have to do better. We have to do better at making you feel like family. We have to do better of making meaningful connections with you, no matter how large our church gets. So we have to do better. But the second thing that it could potentially mean if you don't experience the same kind of excruciating agony like a parent losing their child as us being separated from the church, what that probably also means is that while the blood of Christ might be thicker than the blood of your ancestors, what that probably means is that the blood of convenience, comfort, 
and consumerism is still thicker than the blood of Christ for you. The idols of convenience, consumerism, and comfort loom much taller than Christ himself. And so we have to do a better job of understanding then, of, of, of making this place a family for you. But at the same time, you have to do a better job of understanding that the church is not just another thing that we can consume, but it is a family that we belong to. And one way of knowing this is that if you are fully vaccinated, fully vaccinated, and you are eating indoors, you are going to Target, you are going to Whole Foods, you are going to weddings, you are going to a playoff game, but you are not coming to church yet in person. You still have that mentality and the attitude of a consumer and comfort is the main idol that you have. But notice here what Paul says. He has an intense longing to see his church community again. And he's trying to make every effort to see them. And I think this is what, one of the reasons why I think this is so important is this. If you take a look at the second page of your bulletin, I want to read you a quote from Priya Parker. And if you're in the hospitality industry, she is definitely someone to read and definitely someone to watch online. And one of the things that Parker says is this. She says, physical distancing may be new, but social distancing is evidently a pre-existing condition. And one of the reasons why she's saying this is we live in a hypermobile society. And so we're constantly transitioning from one city to another. We're overworked and we're burning the midnight oil. And so we don't have time for horizontal relationships. And obviously there has been a pandemic that's socially uh, caused an erosion to any sense of community that we might have. And so it gets harder and harder as a result of the things that are happening in our society and culture now to make friends. I don't know if you've ever heard this joke before, but they say that the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed and he performed many, but the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed was making 12 new friends at the age of 30. Friendships in college happen like an instant thought. Friendships after college, it's like a slow cooker. It takes so long to make meaningful relationships. Take a look at your second quote by Alex Williams. And in the New York Times, he says, why is it so hard to make friends over 30? And Williams says, as external conditions change, it becomes tougher to meet the three conditions that sociologists since the 1950s have, been, have considered crucial to making close friends. Proximity, unplanned interactions, repeated unplanned interactions, and a setting that encourages people to let their guard down and confide in each other. This is why so many people meet their lifelong friends in college. Three things, proximity, repeated unplanned interaction, and a setting that encourages us to let down our guards. And I think this is where the church can fill a void in our culture. My wife Hannah and I have a close friend who often used to say to us, you guys are so lucky. If you wanna make new friends or meet a spouse, all you have to do is go to church. Me, I have to go to a bar. The ability to freely gather here, and I say that as a person who lived in a country where there was no freedom of assembly, 
the ability to freely gather here as a congregation is a deep, deep privilege that we should not neglect. The sociologist Robert Bellon, this will be the final quote in his seminal book, Habits of the Heart. Bella says, we are moving to an even, uh, to an ever greater validation of the sacredness of the individual person. But our capacity to imagine a social fabric that would hold individuals together is vanishing. And I think it is more important for the church than ever before to be that social fabric that holds these individuals, us as individuals, together. But we cannot do that digitally. We can only do that in person together. I don't know if you've ever tried to hang something on a command strip that was kind of weak before, and that thing falls down. And the reason for that is because that command strip is not a strong enough fabric to hold that thing up. And in many ways, our society does not offer us these strong enough command strips to hold us together, but I really do believe that the church can be that fabric that holds us together. It's interesting to me that the Hebrew word for friend has the same root word as the Hebrew word for secret. The word friend and secret are correlated together. And the reason for that is because a true friend is someone you can tell secrets to. A true friend is someone that you can confide in and trust, but you cannot have those kind of relationships in cyber world. When we confess our sins to the instavangelists that are out there that minister to us as prophets and pastors, and we comment on them about our struggles and the problems that we're going through, very rarely do those instavangelists actually comment back. What we need is something stronger, a fabric that is much more stronger, and I believe that it is the physical assembly of the local church. This is the kind of friendship that Paul had in Thessalonica. And this is the kind of friendships that I want you to have in our church. Meaningful friendships where you can confide in one another, trust and do life on life with. And perhaps this is why in verses 19 and 20, Paul refers to them like this. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Look at all the different ways that Paul refers to his friends. Five things. The church is his hope, his joy, his crown, his glory, and his joy. Now, when you take a look at these, the ways that Paul refers to the church community, oftentimes it is referred to as Jesus. Jesus is our glory, our hope, our joy, our crown, but it's interesting that he refers to the church as those things. Now, I don't, we're not, we don't have the time to talk about all of these different things, but let me just talk about one, the idea of a crown, because it's the most esoteric to us. In the first century world, when you ran a race and you won, you were crowned. It was like a trophy that you got, something that you were extremely proud about. And what Paul is saying here is that this church is his trophy it is his crown. It is something that he's extremely, extremely proud about. And you know what? You know what I'm so proud about within our own church community? 
Our church is a little under seven years old. Over the past seven years, we have seen strangers become friends. We have seen strangers become roommates. We've seen strangers become co-workers. We've seen strangers become bridesmaids and groomsmen. We've seen strangers get married to become husband and wife. We've seen strangers become mothers and fathers. Over the past seven years, we have seen people in our community reluctant to leave New York City, not so much because New York City is great, although it, although it is, but also because of our church community. And not in a cultish kind of way, but in such a way that they have such deep roots here, it is difficult to leave uh, the city that we live in. And it's important for us as we emerge out of this pandemic to continually take steps forward to resuscitate our relationship with God and to restore our community with one another. To have a community again where strangers can become friends, roommates, husbands and wives, co-workers and best friends. In the Bible, when two people encourage one another, the word that is used is edify. And that word also has the same word as a building's edifice. And so when two people are encouraging one another, what they are doing is they are building one another up. But it is very difficult to do that just online, isolated on yourself. Because a Christian that is isolated by themselves is not a beautiful and glorious temple so much as they are a brick and just a piece of rubble. But when we gather together, what we form is a glorious temple. And you know who the foundation and cornerstone of this temple is? It is none other than Jesus Christ. He is the reason why we assemble together. It is not our ethnicity, our passions, or our common interests, or our desire to network. He is the reason why we gather together. And who is Jesus? Jesus is God in flesh. He is not God as a JPEG. He is not God in hologram form, but he is God in the flesh. And why does he come in the flesh? He comes in the flesh because we are socially and spiritually distanced from God because of our sin. But Jesus Christ comes in the flesh to reconcile and close that social distancing between us and God because of our sin. And the way that he does that is by hanging his fleshly body on a cross for us. The reason why Jesus wore a crown of thorns is because we were his crown. You were his crown. You were his hope, you were his glory, you were his joy, and he gladly laid down his life for you. But Jesus not only dies for us and he dies for the church, he not only dies, but he marries her. He is that committed to her. He doesn't casually date the church, but he marries her. And she might not be the prettiest bride of all. She has warts and blemishes and imperfections, but he loves her. And if Jesus is that committed to the church, we must be that committed to the church. We must be that committed to one another. So let me just close with one picture that uh, might be helpful for us. 
one of the other imageries that the uh, Bible talks about in terms of the church is that we're a body. But because of this pandemic, we sort of become a disassembled Mr. Potato Head. You know, some of us are the arms, others are the legs, others are the face, others are the heart. But we sort of become disassembled Mr. Potato Heads and we're all over the place. And one of my hopes and prayers is, is that as we emerge out of this pandemic, that we will slowly assemble our, ourselves together again. That we will slowly come together to form that one body centered on the person of Christ again. Uh, because we are far stronger together uh, than apart. Uh, so let me just close, close with uh, one last uh, quote from one of my favorite characters in the greatest movie franchise ever made, and no, it is not Star Wars, and no, it is not Harry Potter, but the greatest movie franchise ever made was Fast and the Furious. And one of the main characters, Vin Diesel, who plays Dominic Toretto, one of the things that he says ad nauseum throughout all of the movies is that there is nothing more important than family. The people that are here right now. And as Christians, we have more reason to say that than anyone else. Let's pray together.